Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? I want you to know I have had a tremendous time making gluttony my research project for the last couple of weeks. Actually, I've lived with such guilt every time I open my mouth to eat, it's like having a Jewish mother inside my head. It's just driving me crazy. I even went deep into my closet. I pulled out this old 15-year-old VHS tape of Billy Blank's Tybo workout. So I'm doing this workout in my living room. You know, here we go. Freaked my neighbors out. They thought I was beating my wife. It was awful. So <laughs> food and drink, um, it's everywhere. We have to have it to survive. It's important. And God gave it to us. It's actually good, which makes it so subtle and difficult not only to identify the sin of gluttony, but then to also be able to overcome it. You ever notice that food and drink actually are all over the Bible from the beginning to end? We start off in the Garden of Eden with the forbidden fruit. And in the end of the Bible, we have the wedding feast of the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation. From beginning to end, food seems to reflect our relationship with God. Our key verse for this morning is Romans 6.13, and it says this, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin, but instead give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. See, God gave us our bodies as instrument, as instruments for His purposes. And our attitudes about food are connected directly with our spiritual and emotional health. And so the Bible tells us that as people, we are whole beings where our spiritual, our emotional, our physical needs, they're bound up together. So what goes in to our bodies, they matter. It matters a lot. So what is gluttony? And you'll see this on your outline, that gluttony is consuming more than you need, more than it takes to satisfy you, and more than your fair share. As I said, God made food to be delicious and satisfying, but anything good, when used to an extreme and an excessive way or for the wrong motive or for the wrong reason, has the potential to become destructive and deadly in our lives. Now, before we go any further, I, I think it's important to pause for a minute and to point out something that I think is important because there's a real temptation for us to make assumptions when it comes to the subject of gluttony, and that's this. We're quick to think of gluttony in terms of eating and weight and even body type a lot of times, but gluttony is so much more complex than this. I want you to consider this, that a woman who is pregnant with twins, she may eat every two hours. An athlete will certainly eat much more than a non-athlete. Someone who struggles with diabetes would want very little sugar intake, while someone who is hypoglycemic, on the other hand, may want to increase their sugar intake. So you see, gluttony at its core is much more than an eating issue. It's more than a body issue. Gluttony is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Because you can be overweight and not be a glutton. You can be thin as a stick and be the biggest glutton on the planet. I want you to take a look at a picture here. This is Joey Chestnut. Joey Chestnut, he's an American competitive eater. He's six foot tall, 218 pounds. And on July 4th, 2009, Joey Chestnut set a world record at the 94th annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, okay? You just imagine this. The world record he set was eating 68 hot dogs with the bun. Imagine that. 68 hot dogs. 
He's been a champion for five consecutive years. He also holds records for eating buffalo wings, deep-fried asparagus, pork ribs, waffles, hamburgers, pizza, and macaroni and cheese. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I didn't see tofu or wheatgrass anywhere in that list right there. How in the world is that guy so thin? I can't even imagine. See, some of us have been blessed with this incredible metabolism, this fast-burning metabolism, and you can eat whenever, wherever, and however you want to. And like in the drama, it just doesn't seem to be fair. But in some ways, you may carry the greatest risk when it comes to the sin of gluttony. Because you've probably never exerted any decent amount of energy toward honoring God with your body. You've never felt the need to. On the other hand, there's also some who go to the extreme and are obsessed with eating precise amounts and perfect, having perfect eating habits of the right foods, intense exercise routines, and a faultless body image. The culture would applaud you, but you need to be very careful that pride and vanity and idolatry aren't lurking in your heart. Some in the quest for abs and buns of steel have instead received hearts of steel because their hearts are hardened to God because of their body worship. Do you ever get depressed if you miss a workout? Or perhaps you start comparing your body to others? Or maybe you start to judge someone when you see someone who's overweight. It may be time for a gut check, and I'm not talking about checking out your six-pack. It's important because some of us, on the other hand, have fought intense battles with weight our entire lives. It's just been a battle. You've tried fad diets. You've cried. You've screamed. You've hated yourself. And for every step forward, there seems three steps backwards. There are many causes of being overweight, including heredity, chemical imbalances, medications, disease, metabolic rate, genetic factors, and very deep emotional scars and wounds. Weight is a very complex issue. And so thick or thin, gluttony is more than weight, even more than food. It's about the heart. It's about when our attitudes become addictive and when our motives for eating no longer glorify God and they become toxic to our spiritual life. So my prayer is that today we can have an honest conversation. We really want this church, Twin Cities, to be a place where we can deal honestly with our issues, with our stuff, including food and struggles with our bodies. I'm here to tell you that I struggle with very unhealthy attitudes toward food. And I've met with dozens of students being a student ministry pastor over the years that have almost starved themselves to death in an attempt just to be accepted and to be loved and to try to match some picture in a magazine that's not even real. We kind of need to face this dragon and we need to discover how to break free from gluttony. So we're going to begin by talking about the deadly signs of gluttony. And the first one is this. It's a hunger for control. A hunger for control. The world can be a pretty tough place. We often find ourselves in situations where we feel powerless and out of control. And when we get run over, offended, when we get beaten down, mistreated, some of us turn to eating because it's the one thing in our life that we can control. It's the place where no one can take it away from us. We can do whenever and however we want. We have the power. Psychiatrists actually tell us that control is at the heart of uh, at the core of almost all major eating disorders. It's a desperate attempt to try to control an uncontrollable life. Our issues with control, they go way back to the Garden of Eden. 
God provided everything the first man and woman ever needed. He was their provider and he was their sustainer. And God said to them in Genesis 2, 16 to 17, he said this, you can freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. See, God told him anything you want. There's a bounty of blessing here. Just avoid this one little thing because it'll kill you. And of course, the man and the woman, we know what they did. That's exactly what they were drawn to, like moths to a lantern. Did you ever notice this? It was striking to me as I was looking at this, that the very first sin, which separated mankind from God, had to do with eating. It was a desire to eat something that they knew they weren't supposed to. It looked really, really good. And it represented power and control. Eating the forbidden fruit was a declaration of independence in the worst sort of way. Adam and Eve wanted to have the control. They wanted to be their own God. They wanted to be God. And they rejected God's role as provider and sustainer of life. Control lies at the very heart of our brokenness as human beings. Our struggle for control also oftentimes comes out of pain but see, God wants to meet us in our pain and not be rejected by it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You see, we don't belong to ourselves. We need to relinquish control of our bodies over to God. We need to let God have lordship over our bodies. The second issue is a hunger for emotional comfort. You ever heard the term comfort food? Many of us turn to food for comfort, sort of like a band-aid to cover over our emotional scars and wounds. We get this immediate lift when we eat. You know, the, body re- the, the brain releases chemicals into our body that numb us almost like an emotional drug. Many of us self-medicate with food. I mean, how many of you could use a piece of chocolate right now? (laughs) Do you ever eat when you're lonely or you're sad or you're stressed? If you do, in those times, we're eating to fill an emptiness that really cannot be satisfied by food at all. Eating for comfort temporarily changes our feelings, but it doesn't change the circumstance or it doesn't even change our ability to cope with what we're dealing with. In fact, most of the times, just by delaying it, or ignoring it, we make the situation worse. Because God wants to be our comforter. And when we isolate ourselves and use food as a substitute instead of God, we miss out on the love and the peace and the grace and the forgiveness, the true needs of our heart that God wants to give us. In Philippians 3.19, the Apostle Paul warns us not to make our appetite our God. And he's addressing those who are not living in spiritual maturity. And Paul says this, he says, they're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. See, we destroy ourselves and God's work in us when we turn away from God and use food as a substitute. So I want to be sensitive here because, as I mentioned before, so much of our struggles with food in our bodies comes out of pain. And this is probably where I struggle with gluttony the most. Um, Back as a teenager many years ago. <laughs> my, uh, my father left our home and divorced my mom, and it happened on a Thanksgiving weekend. 
And I remember coming home, and my mom told me that my dad and my sister had moved out. And that night, um, it really hit me as I lay in my bed, and my mom was weeping in the next room. And I was thinking about the loss and the hurt and the feelings that I felt, uh, the rejection that I felt as well. So two days later, my dad called up, and he invited my brother and I um, to smorgasbord for Thanksgiving dinner. And I remember standing in line with my tray, getting my food, and, and mourning the loss of our family and mourning our traditional Thanksgiving meal and thinking about what my mom was doing at home all alone. And having this deep sense of loss and pain and feeling numb. And you know what? Christmas wasn't much better. And you know what's funny is that 30 years later, I have my own kids, I have my own family traditions, and yet, sometimes when the holidays come around, there's triggers that happen. I still feel this cloud that comes over me and that pain and that hurt. And I'll turn to food to make myself feel better. It sounds funny, but one of my deepest vices is Christmas cookies. I can eat more than a dozen at a time, honestly. There's cakes, there's fudge. It's one of these times when there's just sugar everywhere. And I will just consume and consume and consume, trying to feel better and then just feel absolutely sick afterward. And so I get it for many of you with the struggle. Maybe yours is a fruitcake fix. Or maybe it's just a good, stiff, hard drink. I don't know. But I do know this. When we're hurting and when we're broken emotionally, sometimes it takes extra help to get healing. And Christ-centered counseling can help you begin that healing process. The third one is a hunger for pleasure. A hunger for pleasure. Now, we've talked about how pain can drive us toward gluttony, but the same is absolutely true for pleasure. In fact, some of us just absolutely love to eat. It's kind of our favorite sport. The Bible tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are treating our bodies more like a frat house. I mean, it's amazing what we throw in there. We're eating junk food and fast food, oil, salt, preservatives, chemicals, but if it tastes good, we just eat it. You want to put a quiver in your liver? <laughs> Think about all the stuff that you ate at the fair this last summer. I mean, there were corn dogs and cotton candy and deep fried onion rings and chili dogs. And second thought, don't think about that. <laughs> I think it's starting to cause me to stumble right now. <laughs> it's almost comical, the, the funny things that, that Christians have in our attitudes toward food. Let's take a look at this video. It's a clip of comedian Tim Hawkins. Best, I love this one over food. Sometimes we pair over food and ask God to make up for our bad choices when we eat. That's funny. <laughs> no matter what it is, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Lord, bless this bag of Cheetos. <laughs> and this jumbo Dr. Pepper, Lord. Somehow make this nourish us in some way. I don't know how you're going to do it, Father, but we just trust in you now. Father, change the molecular structure of this food. This complete trash we're about to shove in our gullet. Change the Cheeto into a carrot stick on the way down. Spirit of low carb, rain down on me now! I pray a hedge of protection around my pancreas, Lord. Right now. 
intervene. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. So we have really bowed down to designer food industry that's, that's produced these types of food that tastes so good, but it doesn't nourish us. And no matter how much we eat, we're never satisfied. We just have to eat more. We're no longer eating to nourish ourselves. We've become these pleasure consumers. And we're no longer eating to live, but we're living to eat. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to enjoy food. I think you know that that's not true. But we have to admit that there comes a point, there's a line that we cross sometimes when our eating morphs into more of a hedonism or self-gratification. Have you ever heard yourself say this? I really know I shouldn't eat this, but I'm going to anyway. I mean, what is that saying to ourselves? In 1 Corinthians 6.12, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. See, Paul talks here about gluttony and lust in terms of being enslaved by pleasure. Gluttony is highly addictive. It can quickly feed into and lead it to a loss of control where our pursuit for pleasure completely begins to dominate us and everything else becomes unimportant. There's a story in the Bible you may remember about two brothers, Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau is the firstborn son, and he has what's called the birthright, which is a significant thing. That means that when his father passes away, he becomes the leader of the family. He also gets a double portion of the inheritance. So his younger brother, Jacob, is very interested in that birthright, and he knows Esau's weakness. So he fixes up this most incredible yummy stew. And as he's cooking it, of course, Esau comes in and says, brother, I must have some of that stew. That smells delicious. And Jacob says, yes, you may, brother, in exchange for your birthright. And can you really believe it that Esau takes the deal and trades in his future for a few moments of pleasure? He couldn't control his appetite. The Apostle Paul tells us this in Titus 2.12. And we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. And we should live in this evil world with wisdom and with righteousness and devotion to God. We're to live in this world with self-control, with righteousness and devotion. This means we need to move from doing what we have the right to do to doing what's right for us. And we need to do this for ourselves, and we also desperately need to do this for our children. You've probably heard of Generation X, right? Well, right now, we are raising Generation XL. It's true. It's true. Did you know that 12 and a half million children in the United States are obese? The rate of childhood obesity has tripled in one generation. In our pursuit for pleasure, we've lost our perspective, and it's killing us. So how do we break free from gluttony? What do we do? Well, the key to overcoming gluttony is to recognize what we're really hungry for and feast on what truly satisfies. So when we're stressed and anxious and fearful and we reach for food, we need to stop and ask ourselves, is this what I'm really hungry for? Is it food or is it something else? When we're reaching for that can of beer or that bottle of wine, we need to ask ourselves, is this what I'm really thirsty for, or is there something more? Instead of reaching for the pack of cigarettes or the bottle of pills, we need to ask ourselves, 
Is this what I'm really craving, or is there something better? Jesus says this in John 6.35. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, for whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We need to feast on God and then nourish our bodies in moderation with healthy food. So I want to talk a little bit about feasting on God. The first point is to feast on God's presence. We need to get beyond our fixation on food and we need to adjust our focus. A lot of times what we focus on is where our energy goes. And when we actively pursue God's presence, we can experience great joy and fulfillment. Psalm 16, 11 says, In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. See, just snacking on God, we know that doesn't cut it. I'm talking about feasting here. And I hope that at some point in your life, it's at least one time, you have really delved into and pursued the presence of God. Because I believe that if you have, don't you recall that all of your needs were fulfilled? Galatians 5.16 tells us, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Being focused on God and being filled with the Holy Spirit fills us up and gives us power over the things that cause us to stumble, our sin and our weakness. Before Jesus' public ministry, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days and he was fasting. And I imagine he was very hungry. And when Satan came to try to sabotage his ministry, what do you think he used? He used food. He tempted Jesus and said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus replied to him, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. See, the truth is the only thing that will ultimately satisfy our deepest needs is an intimate and unhindered relationship with our loving God. And when we delight in him, God gets the glory that he deserves. The second is to feast on God's purpose. One thing that we can count on in life, and you know it's true, that we're going to have times where we face pain and stress and hardship. And our first reaction may be to hide, to run, and to seek immediate relief. But if you really look at the Bible, the Bible tells us that God can use painful circumstances in our life to grow our faith and our relationship with Him. And at times, instead of avoiding pain, maybe what we need to do is embrace it. And instead of diverting discomfort, maybe we need to choose a path of sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. There's a great biblical practice that we don't hear a lot about these days, and that's fasting. See, fasting is choosing to let go of something for a period of time. In this case, what it may be is letting go of certain types of food or drink in order to release their control over us, or maybe to abstain altogether, to focus on a time of prayer and seeking God. Fasting, what it does is it reminds us of our dependence on God. Author Richard Foster has said this, that fasting reveals the things that control us. Fasting brings us to that point where Jesus said, without me, 
you can do nothing. And so when we face trials and hurt and pain, those are great times actually to stop and to lean hard into God and to feast on Him. Because when we're willing to stay there with Him, sometimes those can be the times of greatest and deepest transformation. The last one is to feast on God's provision. One of the greatest cures for dissatisfaction and want is gratitude. And a great way to fill our hunger and desire is to delight in God. Psalm 118.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. There's a time to really enjoy food and give thanks. It's interesting that in the traditional Christian calendar, times of fasting were followed by times of feasting. There's great joy in recognizing and celebrating God's provision of food and of fellowship and the support that we have in connection with one another. One of the very strategic ways that God designed us is to be dependent upon one another. He actually ministers to us through one another. And so God has provided us counsel and support, a shoulder to cry on, and even a good kick in the pants in the form of a brother or sister who loves us. Here at Twin Cities, we are meeting together. There are groups meeting together every week to deal with healthier attitudes toward food, people who are pursuing healthier lifestyles together. One of our programs is called PRISM. There's several groups that meet here every week. Another is Celebrate Recovery. It's a program for those with habits and hurts and hang-ups. It kind of sounds like a lot of us or most of us here, me included. God wants us to delight and feast on His provision. He's provided a family for us. So you don't have to go this alone. So if you're ready to get honest and you're ready to allow God to use a good friend in your life, why don't you ask for more information on your connection card? And my hope is that here at Twin Cities, we can become known for our tremendous appetite for God. Let's take a moment and talk to God. Will you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, I need you to help me. I recognize my need to keep you first in everything. And so, Lord, um, forgive me for the times that I've put other things in front of you, including food. I need you to help me to begin some new habits in my life. Please give me the humility to ask for help when I need it. Give me the strength to honor you with my mind and my body and my spirit. And make my life what you want it to be, Lord. Amen.